You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. Well, welcome to what we as a staff, like Lori Lynn said just a few moments ago, like to refer to as the Benchwarmer Series. Um, I am so looking forward to hearing from the rest of the staff over the next few weeks. We're very, very blessed to have such a great team here at Mapleview. There's a lot of love around the staff table. There's a lot of joking around as well. There is some chasing, which, yeah. Uh, But but it all comes from a place of love and respect. But interestingly enough, if I'm being really candid and honest with you this morning, I was initially pretty grumpy about moving to Barrie. Not because Barrie's a bad place. It just wasn't part of my plan. Our family had moved from Waterdown, where we lived for about 13 years, to Sudbury as part of my husband's new job at the time. And I had really tried to jump into Northern life with both feet. I really, really loved the North, and I was very thrilled to be back living in Northern Ontario. I got super involved at the church that I was at and in the community where we were living. But it became pretty clear after a time that even though we felt like we had followed the call of God, that it wasn't a healthy way for our family to live because we were spending way too much time apart. And I remember feeling really confused. And I wondered if we had truly heard God's direction for our family. But as the summer went on, I began to realize that God was up to something. And that maybe God had brought us the first step so we'd be ready for the second step. So we quite literally picked Barry, and I, you know, there, I wish I could say that it was like this Holy Spirit moment where it was like the Lord illuminated it on the map, but that didn't happen. We literally just looked at the map, and Barry was kind of in the middle of where we needed to be, and so we moved to Barry. <laughs> but the whole thing, if I'm being perfectly honest, felt like I had had the rug ripped out from underneath me, and I wrestled with moving again. And I have declared to my family, and just for the record, I will never move on Labor Day ever again, especially with teenagers. That was a nightmare. Uh, Two years in a row, Labor Day, we moved. But it was during that summer in my grumpy and disappointed state that I was directed on two separate occasions to this weird little story at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. So turn with me to Acts chapter 16 if you have your Bibles with you this morning. Picking it up at verse 6, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Trous, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Smothrice. Don't don't you love these names? I always pick a passage with hard words. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, what I found so interesting in this passage, and why it was so applicable to my situation at the time, 
And the reason why my friends pointed it out to me is that even though Paul and his companions were following the Holy Spirit's leading, they ran into some roadblocks, obstacles that changed their direction, a route that wasn't part of their plan. They encountered what I like to refer to as Holy Spirit detours. And what I learned that summer was that sometimes God changes our direction to see if we will really trust him. And not just that, but that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit detours lead us to places that we might not have ended up without the roadblock, but that were ultimately where we were supposed to be. A pastor friend said to me in the midst of all of this drama that God doesn't uproot us, he transplants us. Sometimes the route is confusing and a little frustrating because you're pretty sure that you were being obedient, but now there's a bend in the road and it just doesn't make sense. And to be perfectly honest, I really, really struggled with this, this feeling of confusion and doubt. But just like Paul and his companions in this story, I wouldn't have been in the right place to get to the right destination without the detour along the way. It's only when I look back now that I can see that God was never confused about where we were supposed to be. And standing here this morning, looking out at all of you who have become such a big part of my life, I'm so grateful that he was patient with me on the journey and that he brought me here for this season of my life. Have you ever felt like that, though? Like you thought you were in the right place or doing the right thing, but something happened and what you thought was right is now changed? Maybe, like me, you feel disappointed and discouraged because your situation seems a little unfair. Well, I want us to ask a few questions this morning. First of all, how do we as believers deal with detours and disappointments? And secondly, how do we as followers of Christ deal with situations that are completely unfair? Well, let's continue on in that same chapter. From Trous, they put out to sea and sailed straight for Smothrice, and on the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So after a couple of detours, Paul and Silas finally make their way to Philippi, to Macedonia. And they meet a woman named Lydia who receives the gospel and who invites them to her home to share the message with her whole household. So at this point, you're probably thinking, great, <laughs> those detours led them to the group of people they were supposed to minister to, and they all got saved. And if the story ended there, we'd all think, fantastic ending, amen. After a pleasant little boat ride, they found the people they were supposed to preach to. What a nice story. Let's make a flannel graph for that, because it's an uplifting story that we'll preach. Does anybody else remember flannel graphs? No? No? Really? Oh, okay. A couple of people. There's a couple of old people like me. Okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I love flannel graphs. I don't know why we don't use them anymore. They're fantastic. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the story. But 
That's not where the story ends, is it? I mean, sure, that's a great ending to the story, and you could probably preach a whole sermon on just that passage, but the story continues. Verse 16 says this, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, <laughs> that's a turn in the story. Not long after this beautiful encounter with Lydia and her whole household getting saved, Paul and Silas are going back to this place of prayer where they find themselves being harassed by a girl who's being controlled by an evil spirit. It's interesting, I think, here. Even the evil spirit knew what was going on, announcing that they were there with the message of Jesus and that it was the way to be saved. But Paul eventually had had enough of her and cast the spirit out in the name of Jesus. But the people who'd been making all kinds of money off of her, they get angry. And so they drag her, they drag them into the magistrate, and they accuse them of causing an uproar in the city. They're stripped, they're beaten, they're thrown into prison and chained up in the inner cell. I thought about putting on my uh, coveralls that I like to paint around here in. <laughs> uh, I, I like to paint in some, over, in some coveralls around the church that uh, unfortunately have Correction Center written on the back, and people like to take pictures of me wearing them. But it's a little too warm in here this morning, so you'll just have to imagine that I'm wearing them. Or not, that's fine. <laughs> but getting back to the story, Paul and Silas were doing good things. They were sharing the gospel and people were getting saved and delivered. But now, all of a sudden, they find themselves beaten and chained up in prison. Not exactly the outcome you'd expect from a deliverance service. In fact, things look pretty bad. And I think a lot of us would be thinking, seriously, God? We were following your lead and we did a really good thing. How can this possibly be part of your plan? To be honest, though, I think we as the Western church, we don't really understand persecution. Not, not like this, anyway. Sure, it's not popular to be a Christian in our cancel culture, but most of us have never been stripped, beaten, and imprisoned for our faith. But this was, in many ways, the life of the early church. And sometimes I think we, we read the book of Acts and we think, man, if we could only get back to living like the early church, but in reality... <laughs> I don't think a lot of us are tough enough to actually live the way that they did. It's funny, though, how we whine about our own circumstances. Rather than expecting persecution, we get upset and we cry, unfair, instead of seeing that God might be setting us up for an opportunity to declare his goodness in the midst of our situation, that he is, in fact, trusting us with an opportunity to bring him 
glory. Because the response that I see in this text is pretty much the opposite of what most of us would have done. Verse 25, though, I love this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. So, okay, I have to admit, the older I get, the more I really like my sleep. So when I read this, I'm kind of like, ooh, a midnight. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm all for a rousing worship service, but midnight, I don't know. I'm not sure my response would have been quite the same. Because instead of accepting that they're spending the night chained up and wallowing in self-pity, they decide to have a worship service. Now, they probably didn't have nice guitars and drums and keyboards and all of this fancy stuff that you see behind me. Um, I, I don't know, maybe they shook the chains a little bit to get the rhythm going. I don't know. But, <laughs> and I also don't know what kind of singers they were, but I know that they were going for it. So think about it for a second here. First of all, it's midnight. And secondly, they're more than likely surrounded by scary criminals, like real criminals. Murderers, thieves. It's not the obvious choice to hold a hymn sing, but that's exactly what they did. Why? Because they understood who their God was, and they understood the power of praise. They knew that it was more than just a nice melody with some encouraging words. They understood that worship has the power to change the atmosphere. And they were able to look beyond their situation and trust that somehow, even in this wild circumstance, that God was doing something and they were going to give him praise no matter what. You know, we don't get up here week after week and sing songs because we want to see your awesome dance moves, although some of you do have some great dance moves. No! <laughs> We do, we want you to participate in worship, but not, not, in a, not to get you hyped up. The whole purpose of what we do as a worship team is to encourage you to encounter God's presence. And if you can come into a service and not be moved by the presence of God, you need a fresh encounter with God. That's what the wind and fire theme for this year is all about, encountering God's presence and living by the Spirit. I think we need to be aware of the devil's scheme to dull our senses to the presence of God. Being in the presence of a holy God should wreck you in a good way. We gather to offer worship to our king because worship reminds us who our God is. And if I could just peel back, just even just the corner for one second, the veil of heaven so that you could see God's glory, we would all be completely overwhelmed. Every encounter I read in the Bible where someone sees God, they are completely undone. Moses had to wear a veil over his face after his encounter with God because he was, a, he was so affected by just seeing God's back. I think so often we get a little too familiar in our worship. And if we really understood the might and the glory of God, we wouldn't even be able to express the praise he truly deserves. Because worship puts things back into perspective. Don't lose your sense of awe and wonder. I heard a preacher say recently that praise is the sound of our hope. Did you know that the enemy wants to silence your praise by making you feel like you're the only one who's ever been treated unfairly? 
Sometimes we might not be feeling like expressing praise when we come together. We've all experienced the drama of trying to get here on a Sunday morning with the whole family in the car and all of that. Let's be honest, there's weeks when we come in here and we're just not feeling it. But when I read this story, I think it would have been easy for Paul and Silas to feel a little grumpy about their situation. They're beaten up and imprisoned for God's work. If anyone could have shook their fist and said, unfair, it was them. But no, they chose to lift up a shout of praise in the midst of their pain because they understood that their praise was a weapon in God's hand to change not only their situation and their hearts, but the prisoners around them. Someone a few months ago said to me after the worship service, wow, that coffee must have been strong today because you are really into it. And I know, I'm sorry, sometimes I get a little loud. <laughs> but that's because I've learned that my praise is a weapon against the scheme of the enemy to weigh me down and silence me. And there are situations, if I'm really honest with you this morning, there are situations going on in my life even right now that could knock the breath right out of me if I allowed the lies of the enemy to take root in my heart. So what do I do when the enemy swings a punch in my direction? I sing a little louder. I declare who my God is, and I boldly remind the enemy of God's promises. There's something powerful that happens in your heart when you choose to worship in the middle of your pain. Because praise isn't a feeling. It's a declaration of your faith. Don't camp out in disappointment. The enemy knows that if he can get you to stay stuck in your disappointment, that you are going to miss out on the victory that comes after your praise. When you start to praise in the middle of your disappointment, it's amazing how you move from doubt to victory. Praise is a reminder that God is bigger than whatever you are facing right now. And I'm convinced that knowing who our God is, is pretty much the answer to whatever your problem might be. You know, we so often have such a way too small idea of who God is. And when you have a small view of God, you become ungrateful. You start believing that he was created for you, and you start judging him and asking really hard questions arrogantly. And I'm not saying that your problems don't matter and that God doesn't want you to share those things with him. But the beauty of real worship is that it holds your pain up next to God. <laughs> and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, God is so much bigger. Sometimes the solution is not looking deeper at your problem. The solution is looking beyond that and seeing God on his throne. Let's read the rest of this story, picking it up at verse 26. Suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. 
The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Don't miss the miracle because you're stuck in your own feeling of doubt and discouragement. I know sometimes it's hard to praise when you're in pain. Real worship requires a sacrifice. My life is far from perfect. Some of you may know, but many of you may not know that about 15 years ago, I was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And I've been blessed with 15 years so far to give God glory in the middle of my story, to raise my two amazing kids, and to be able to share the story of God's faithfulness and unfailing peace in the midst of hard days. I don't live defeated, even though there are days when I have to go into a dark room and try to sleep through the pain. We all have stories. We all have pain. But how we choose to respond in the midst of our pain has a huge effect on the state of our heart and has the potential to bring glory to God that affects the lives of those watching us. I love how this story ends. The jailer wakes up his whole family. It's still the middle of the night. Don't forget that. <laughs> Have you ever stopped to consider maybe your situation isn't even about you? Sure, there's stuff that God's working out in you at the same time, but maybe, just maybe, there's a bigger story happening around you that has the potential to change the lives of the people who are watching you. They're watching your story unfold. The book of Hebrews has a chapter that's often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. And I encourage you to read it this afternoon. It's a great, great chapter. What I find striking about this list of faith heroes, though, is that they were counted as having great faith, even though many of them didn't see the miracle they were believing for in their lifetime. It happened. They just didn't get to see it. And the chapter starts with these words. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. But so many of us have it backwards. We come into worship with an agenda. We say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now here's my long list of things that I need. <clears throat> King David wrote some of the most beautiful psalms, songs of worship, hymns in the Bible, the whole book of psalms. A lot of them are his. But if you look a little deeper, there's a lot of psalms and they were powerful declarations written at a time of great sorrow in David's life. Psalm 34 is perhaps one of the best examples of this because it's such a beautiful expression of praise. But if you read the subscript right before the psalm, it says this. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And then this is what he writes. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. The Lord, I love this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord rescues his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. David knew that he was in a bad place, obviously. But he didn't allow his circumstance to determine his praise. And like David, we need to declare boldly that no matter what is happening, we already know who's in control of the situation. We give way too much credit to our feelings. Don't let your feelings be the measuring stick for what God is doing in your situation. Recognize that God might be setting you up for a miracle. Sometimes God allows what seems totally unfair to happen in your life because he's setting the stage for his entrance into the lives of those around you. Steward whatever the season is that you are in well. I don't know about you, but I want to be found praising and declaring the goodness of God. I don't want to be late to the party with my worship. It's one thing to join the bandwagon after the miracle, but it's life-changing to believe before the earthquakes and the prison walls come crumbling down. Praise takes frustration and turns it into and I want my response to challenging days to be praise. I want to be someone who responds to the presence of God with the worship he deserves. 2023 at Maple View is the year of wind and fire. Sometimes being led by the Spirit of God takes us to places that we didn't expect. And sometimes those places can be challenging. Trust him. He's always in control. Maybe this morning your faith level feels a little bit low. Maybe it's time to fan that spark into flame again. Choose to respond with the worship that he deserves and watch with anticipation for the miracle he's already working out. Jesus, I thank you that you see so much more than we do and that you are always working God, I pray that this year especially, that we would learn to walk by your spirit, that we would have our ears open and attuned to your leading and your guiding. And I pray that when we find ourselves taking a detour that we didn't expect and life maybe seems unfair, help us to pause and to praise and to trust that you're doing something that we just don't see yet. God, I thank you that you trust us to go through 
challenging seasons because they will bring you glory. I want to be someone that brings you glory in every season of my life. God, I pray this morning that if there are those in this room that are walking through challenging days, God, I pray that they would hold up their pain next to you and be blown away by how much bigger you are and how you've got everything in control. God, I pray that we would trust you with everything, the big stuff and the little stuff, that we would walk in step with your spirit and that you would lead us and guide us and that we would give you all the glory and all the praise because you are truly worthy. We choose to praise you no matter what because you are a good God. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Maple View Community Church Podcast.